Good evening, church. Anybody happy to be here? Man, I missed you. Well, welcome back. I'm, um, Dallas has been doing an awesome job preaching through our heart and soul material, and uh, he gave me a break off, a little bit of refreshment. But um, if you haven't received the book, if you don't have a heart and soul book and you would like to be heart and soul, um, there are some available in the back back there um, at Next Steps. Um, but uh, Dallas, he's been covering um, sessions one and two, what it means to be saved, and also, what was last week? Anybody know? Nobody knows, huh? It's in your book. Come on. I know. Spending time with God. So in this week, session three, we're going to cover what can I expect after salvation? All right? Um, this is, a, this is a, a message that God's been just stirring in my heart so hard here lately is there's so many people that have been just doing church for so long that they really don't understand what salvation means. If you were to ask 90% of people that claim to be Christians, that claim to be a follower of Jesus, how do you know that you are saved? How do you know you're saved? Ask yourself, how do, you, how do I know that I'm saved? And most people take themselves back to one point in their lives. They go, I know when I was asked that before I was truly saved, I went back to this one point in my, time, in my life. I went back to when I was baptized, when I said the sinner's prayer. That's the only way I knew or that I thought that you knew that you were saved. Jeremy, how do you know you're saved? Well, I got baptized when I was 12. Okay, well, how else do you know you're saved? Um, I go to church every now and then. I put, a little, I put a 20 in the offering plate when I go. But that's not what it means to be saved. So as we go through this material tonight, I hope it opens up your eyes and opens up your heart to really check yourself and say, am I truly saved? Because we have a lot of people that are Christians just by association, not by their heart. We have a lot of people that claim to be in a family of God that's giving God a bad name because they're not living it out. And they think they're saved, but they're really not. And I know Dallas kind of let y'all slide the last couple of weeks without being really involved, but y'all got to give me some amens up in here, all right? I've been, been gone too long. Before we get started and dive on, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Father God, we just come again just thanking you so much for this day. Thank you, Father, for just... Uh, just your sweet spirit as, uh, as worship was playing, and I could, that, that song just uh, engulfs me every time. God, I want you in front and behind me, above and below me. Everywhere that I go, I want people to see that you're all around me, God. And I pray that each individual in this room will have that same intensity and that same desire in their heart, God. And if it's not, I pray, God, when they leave here, they'll be changed and different. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all bear with me. This is not my style of preaching. Um, going line item by line item and having to tell you guys what to write down. That's not my style. So y'all better hang on to your hat. And if y'all miss one and I skip one, don't stone me. Y'all can get answers from up there, okay? Back there in next steps. So what, what can I expect after salvation? 
Upon salvation, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, right? We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Just like Ephesians 1, 3, 1 through 3 says right there, 113 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. I never understood that until I really got saved. People talk about the Holy Spirit. People talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, being controlled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was just like a neighbor that I never had met. I knew he was there, but I never had seen him. And so many people think of the Holy Spirit that way. Oh, yeah, they talk about the Holy Spirit at church all the time, but, but who is this guy? It's the Spirit of the living God. When you get saved, when you're truly saved, he fills you. And he's the one that allows you to live this life victoriously for Christ. Without him, you can't do this. So there's a lot of us that are failing. We're trying to fix our morality, and we're not fixing our heart. We're not filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going through this life living a double life because we're not really filled with the Spirit of God. It says it seals us. It tells me that once I'm truly saved and the Holy Spirit fills me, you can't go back. It seals you from that life. And I'm standing here a testament to that because when life got tough, when life got hard, when, when I started struggling, when my marriage was falling apart, I, was trying, I said, you know, this is too bad. This is too tough. This is harder than I had thought. I'm going to go back. And when I tried to go back, I just couldn't do it. I remember going to a party one night, just going to go back to that lifestyle. I went to a party and physically felt like I was going to throw up. And it was the Holy Spirit convicting me. Saying, boy, you know you don't need to be here. You know this isn't you anymore. And, and, and it brought me right on back to him. And you think I'm crazy if you've never experienced that before, but that's what being filled with the Holy Spirit is about. Number two says the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to turn your life. I'm sorry. The purpose of the Holy Spirit in your life is to transform you into the image of Christ. Christ-likeness, okay? That, that, that takes that whole thing of I can live wrong and die right. That whole thing of I can, I can go to church and live like hell the rest of the week. If you're supposed to be in Christ-likeness, you're supposed to be growing in your relationship with Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. You're supposed to be different tomorrow than you were today. Can I get an amen? All right. It's growing. If I'm supposed to be in the image of Christ, I'm telling you, Jesus wouldn't say the things you said last week. Or he wouldn't be the places that you might have been last night. I ain't going to get an amen on that, am I? Just saying, we're growing in Christ's likeness. We should be growing in that. Not just a stagnant church goer sitting on a pew every single Sunday. God is faithful to complete the work that he started in you. Philippians 1.6 says, as I, as, as, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm trying to go too fast. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I just want to tell you guys, if you've really been filled with the Spirit and, you've, and, and, got, and you're struggling, that doesn't mean we're not going to struggle. Okay, that's going to be things that's going to come against us. That's going to be tragedy that hits our lives that we're going to, sometimes we're going to question God. Sometimes we're going to question just what's going on. I just want to encourage you to don't give up. Don't quit. Keep pressing in. Keep repenting. Keep seeking God because when you get through this valley, when you get through that, you'll see the purpose of all that you just went through. 
So many people get to the hard stuff and they're like, you know what, this isn't worth it. I just give up. Don't do that. Keep pressing into God. Keep pressing in. I'm, I'm so thankful Jesus didn't do that. I'm so thankful Jesus, when it got hard, I'm so thankful Jesus didn't say, hey, they're not worth it. I'm so thankful he pressed in and continued on the task that he had. But there's four misconceptions that a lot of people have in salvation. Number one, if they think it eliminates temptation, I'm going to get saved and I'm not going to have, I'm not going to lust anymore. Yeah, buddy, okay, you think that. I'm not going to. I'm not going to want to cheat anymore. I'm not going to lie anymore. No, there's no going to be no, no temptation to do any of those things. Let me read a little something to you. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may also be able to endure it. doesn't mean that we're going to not be tempted, but it means that God's going to give you an opportunity, an option out. Okay? You can choose not to sin. You can choose not to do that. You can choose not to. I'm going to give this, this, most people can relate to this. If there's this pretty woman coming down the aisle, I can do this. Either I can look and turn, or I can go, hello. All right. Which one of them was a sin? The second one. I could have chose not to look. There's a way out of that. So many people say, well, I just can't help myself. You're not trying. You're not trying to, to please God. You're just falling to your own selfishness. Next one, they says, hey, it eliminates struggles. They think that everything's going to be okay. I think it guarantees that everything is going to go their way once they get saved. Man, if I, I gave my life to Christ, good. Now I'm going to win the lottery. I'm going to have this huge house on the hill. I'm going to have this, uh, this Joel Osteen Lamborghini in the garage. Have that hurt some of y'all's feelings? I'm sorry. I need to get saved. Um, anyway, you know what I mean? I mean, people think, all right, I gave my life to Christ. Now I, everything's going to be good. My life's going to be, man, if I would have thought that, I would have gave up day one. It doesn't eliminate those things. But I'm telling you, once you truly are saved, when you go through those situations, you go through those trials, those things that sometimes seem unbearable, when you come out the other side, you see how God used those things to make you more into the lack of, likeness of Christ than you were to begin with. He uses the bad things to shape our life. Not that we won't struggle, but when we do struggle, we know who our hope lies in. And the last one, that life will be easy. We think life will be easy. I don't know how we get that. If you read your Bible, you cannot get it that, that life is going to be easy. There was not a disciple of Jesus Christ that their life was completely worry-free. And if we're supposed to be in the likeness of Christ, what did Christ do? He suffered. Luke 9, 23 says, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. If we're going to, we're going to follow Christ, we're going to take up our cross and follow him. 
In today's society, we've taken the cross and we've devalued it so much. We've made it a piece of jewelry. Everybody in this place probably got a cross at their house as decoration on the wall. And it does symbolize the crucifix of Christ. It does symbolize that. But that cross, do you understand what that means? That cross represents, it represents agony. It represents betrayal. It represents blood. It represents hurt. That's what it represents. Because you need to take up your cross. Take up this burden. Take up this thing and follow me daily. To follow Christ, man, I'm telling you, my heart burdens for people. And I understand that now. When I first got saved, I didn't really understand that. But now, my heart's for people. My heart's for you guys. To, to grow and learn and be the godly man and woman that he's called you to be. But that burden for people, pick up that cross and follow him every single day. I think about that cross that Jesus was toting. It was heavy. It was burdensome. But he still carried it. That's what he's called us to do. To carry that cross every single day. Matt Chandler's quote is a great example. It says, look, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that if you follow Jesus, everything will go well for you, but it is that no matter what comes, he'll be enough. Who that speaks. When the cancer comes, he'll be enough. When tragedy strikes, he'll be enough. The list could go on. That's what following Jesus is, in a nutshell. It means, look, whatever goes on, he's enough. There's nothing else greater than Jesus. There's no amount of money that's greater than Jesus. There's nothing else greater than Jesus. He is enough. If I have nothing else, if I'm on my deathbed, he is enough. Man, I'm telling you, that's, that's, that's what he wants us to understand. When, we, when our life is like, hey, Jesus is enough. If my whole family is killed in a car wreck tomorrow, he is still enough. He should be enough. But most of us live a life where he is just enough. He's just enough important to go to church. He's just enough to do these things, but he is not my complete joy, my complete satisfaction. He is not everything. Is Jesus enough for you? Three things we need to remember when we're following Christ. That it's about pursuit, not perfection. So many people get under the, the get their uh, get the blinders on, thinking, "All right, I've said I've I've, I've said uh, yes to Jesus. Now I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to be a saint. Nothing's going to go wrong." I see some of you smiling. You know that's a lie, don't you? No. We've got a saying that we say in connection, it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Look, it's fine that you came into this church today broken. It's fine that you came in here half-heartedly following Jesus. It's fine that you came in here playing games with God, but what's most important is when you leave here, you're not that same person. It's your sold out to God. It is all about Jesus. He is enough for you. 
And that you, from this point on, you're growing in the likeness of Christ. You're pursuing him every single day. That's what it's about. Philippians, that text right in there, Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both, in, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We've got to understand that it is a, salvation is not, a, it's not just when, when, when we got saved. It, there's, there's an act of salvation. When we accept Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and start following him, and we commit our life to him, that is the point when you are saved, okay? That is the point. That is the starting point of your destination to heaven. That's the starting point. But salvation is a continual process. A continual process of, of, of shunning sin and trying to live more and more like Christ. It's pursuing him every single day. A lot of us get up every single day. What do we pursue? The almighty dollar. We get up, we go to work, we go to work sick, we go to work. No matter what's going on, we're going to go to work because we're pursuing that dollar. We're pursuing that money. What if we pursue God that intensely? We won't go to church if we, just, if we have a bad morning. We don't want to tell our neighbor about Jesus because they might have a bad attitude. I'm going to go to work if my boss has a bad attitude. I'm going to go to work with people that I work with don't like me. Why? Because I'm pursuing the dollar. So if we're pursuing Jesus, come on, church. If I'm pursuing Jesus, none of this other stuff matters. I should be focused on him, pursuing him 110%. All out, full out, because he's enough. Number two, it's about heart transformation, not behavior modification. That's what it's about. And don't worry if you spell it wrong. I didn't spell it right either. But so many times, we're, we're, we, we try to, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, I'm a good person. Well, great. Great, I know you're a good person. But does Jesus have your heart? See, a lot of times we say that we're, we make the commitment and then we try to change our moral, my morals. We try to, we try to be a more uh, moral person. We try to be a good person. We try to change ourselves. We try to stop cussing. We try to stop being mean to people. We try to stop drinking. We try to stop, some people try to stop sleeping around on their spouses. They try to start, they're going to they're try to make themselves better. They're trying, to, they're trying to just modify their behavior. And if you're just trying to modify your behavior, guess what? Eventually, you will get tired of modifying your behavior, and you're going to go back into the same old rut you was in. But when God has your heart, when it's truly transformed, it's about him. That's what Jesus was telling the Pharisees right there in that text in Matthew 23. He says, look, the outside, you've got all together. You look the part. You look religious. You look like you might be my disciple, but inside is nasty and dirty and filthy because your heart has never changed. And the reason that the church today is crippled is because there's a lot of people that call themselves Christians, but the inside is dirty and nasty and filthy, and we won't deal with the problems inside. We won't deal with the sin. We want to stay comfortable where we are. We want to have our cake, and we want to eat it too. Word, I like that. That was pretty good. That's the truth. I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to stop cheating on my taxes. I, I want to keep getting my refund back. Mm. I don't want to stop lying on my timesheet at work because I want to get more money. 
I don't want to be nice to this person that is hateful to me. I don't want to forgive my brother. But yet I want to come to church and say, oh, praise Jesus, I'm saved. What's your heart look like? We got to get this because there's people out there dying and going to hell every day because we are fake. And we're posers, not true followers of Jesus. Y'all ain't going to let me not preach again, are you? The next one is this. It's about who you are, not what you do. When Jesus Christ is who you are, when being a follower of him is who you are, your life is going to revolve around him. I was talking to Ryan this past week, two weeks ago, and Ryan's like, man, the way we do church, I mean, it just consumes my life. I mean, it's all about, I mean, I'm reading my Bible because I know I got got Connect Group Wednesday, and then, man, I just can't wait for Sunday, and I'm just telling people about Jesus, telling people about my church. That's what it's about. It's about who you are. Not that you come to Connection Church, but that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And when it's who you are, you're excited about it. When that's who you are, you can tell people about it. Before I met Jesus, I was just a regular, ordinary South Georgia redneck surveyor. I could tell you anything in the world about surveying, but I couldn't tell you about Jesus because a surveyor was who I was. That's what defined me. But when I learned about Jesus, when I started following Jesus, when he became my Lord and Savior, when he was who I was, I wanted to know more and more about him. I want to know know what made him happy. I wanted to know my whole life was was about him. Is your life about Jesus? We've made our lives about the church. It ain't about the church. It ain't about coming to a service. It's about following Jesus Christ. And when you follow Jesus Christ, guess what? You're going to want to go to church. Why? Because you want to be around people that are like-minded. You want to be around people that are praising God. Some of you in here may look at me crazy because I raise my hands and say, thank you, God. Let me tell you, I grew up in a Baptist church that if you got up and went to the bathroom, they looked at you like you was going to hell. Like, what's he doing? That ain't right. Let me tell you, there's freedom in Jesus, amen? He died for me. Man, I ought to throw both hands up and jump up and down. Thank you, God, because he saved me. We should be that excited. And that's the mold a lot of us have got to break. My God is a living God, not the God of the dead. So why do we sit on the church pews and act like he's dead? Act like we at a funeral. Uh-uh. I'm on a tangent here, but I'm coming back, I promise. But come on, we got to praise him more, Amen. We got to be, we, if we were watching a Georgia game up here and muted it, and, and muted the game, and people just were filming, they'd be like, man, them people are praising God. Because we'd be like jumping up and down and doing our hands like this. Turn it off and play some Jesus music, and everybody's going. Like, well, there's a eulogy going on up there. Somebody has died. That, ain't, that is not who I want to be. I don't want to be this dead Flaky Christian. I want to be this all-in, sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. That's who you need to be. That's who you need to try to just say, God, help me with those things. Back to where we are. The four results of heart transformation is, is number one, new direction. Number two, there's a waging war inside of you. Number three, there's fruit in your life. There's fruit. 
Number three, I'm sorry. And number four is repentance. See, those four things is evidence, is the evidence of true salvation. These things should be happening in your life if you're truly saved. The question is, are they happening in your life? Number one, the first one, new direction. Nothing explains a new direction as good as this video we're fixing to play. It's a guy on our Vidalia campus. They've been playing church his whole life, and God got a hold of him this past year and radically changed his life. And I wasn't going to play it with this, uh, with this series here. We're going to play it with our Everything Changed series, but I, I, God just been stirring in my heart all week. So I want you to look at this video and look at this man's life and what God has done in his life. Very prideful, and then everything changed. I moved to Toombs County to coach wrestling with Bradley Benton, and I knew that we were going to win a lot of wrestling matches and we were going to compete for state titles, and that's what my desire was as a coach. Um, I really wanted to be successful. I wanted to win. I wanted everybody to know that I was a good coach. Uh, I worked hard at it, and I wanted to get the accolades for that. And, you know, when I started coming to Connection, I realized that my priorities were in the wrong place and uh, my direction was for me only and not for, not for Christ, not for my wife, not for anything except for me. Um, my marriage was, you know, great as far as I thought, you know, but my wife got out of PA school and uh, she was working night shift a lot and really seen much of each other and didn't have Christ at the center of our marriage and we were struggling and I wasn't serving her and I was resenting her for I thought she wasn't serving me the way I should have been served because I thought you know I don't know I just thought I was good you know I was like hey I'm you know a good husband I'm, I'm a good person you know I, I work hard and I feel like she should be serving me more and really I was you know supposed to be the leader of my house and I'm not. After we started going to Vidalia campus and going to small groups, I, I really felt like my life was changing. Uh, when I was 13, I got baptized and basically for the next 17 years, I thought that I was saved. And I thought, well, you know, I, I mess up and I sin and I do things, but I'm still saved. And I, I began to question my salvation when I, I felt like I, I was not being challenged as a Christian. Um, I realized other people did not see me as a Christian. And I, I knew that something was missing. And uh, when I finally received the Holy Spirit, um, I grew more in this one year than I did in 17 previous years. That speaks for itself, doesn't it? How many of us have been like Bradley? Going to church our whole life and never growing, never changing. That's what that new direction means. When we have that new direction, guys, we have the desires of Christ in us.
when I watched that video for the first time, I'm just telling you, that, that, was, uh, that was me. I, I, you could have took him out and put me in there. I'm glad them people in Vidalia talk like me too because, man, he dirt as country as I am. I'm proud of it. But when you think about New Direction, I, I, just about two weeks ago I was thinking about that, and Dallas and I were talking. I said, you know what? I've, God just kind of made me realize some things about a New Direction. You know, we've, we've heard, if you've been in church long, you've heard preachers say a thousand times, you've got to make 180 turnaround and go the other way. Have you not? I've heard that. But you know, if I'm driving down my road with my GPS going, and I'm supposed to take a right, and I don't. I just go straight. That thing's going to tell me I'm going in the wrong direction. If I just turn my truck around and go back and miss the road again, guess what? I'm still going in the wrong direction, even though I turned around. There's that little voice in that keeps telling you, recalculating, recalculating. Trying to tell you that you need to get back to the right path, the right road. I'm a surveyor. I told y'all this before. And I, I, who would have thought that I would have spent eight years of my life in school to go cut bushes for a living? Who knows? But anyway, just, just imagine this is the line. This is the boundary line. This is the property. This is the line right here that I'm supposed to be going down. And somehow or another, I've got off course. And this is the line that I'm going down. If I go 180 degrees, I'm going this way. That means I'm still, I'm going in a new direction, but I'm not going in the right direction. The only way that I'm going to go and get on the right direction, on the right line, is I've got to recalibrate my thinking, recalibrate my heart and everything to make sure I'm going down the right path. We can change all we want to, how we do things, we can change how we say things. We can change our behavior. But if our heart hasn't been recalculated to the line God has established, to the true line of Christ, then nothing's going to change in our life. We might go another direction, but we're going away from God just as hard. It's about changing our life to the priorities God has placed in front of us. That aha, that aha moment, guys, when... Our lives are not about us. Our lives are about him. I had that aha moment February of 2008 at a men's conference. That, and that was exactly what God told me. Life is not about you. It should be about me. I prayed the sinner's prayer. I kid you not. Every Sunday for a year and a half, I'd go to, I'd go to the altar and I'd pray the sinner's prayer and I'd get up and be like, whew, I feel better. I go home, and by Monday, I was just as nasty and filthy as I was when I got there because you know what? That prayer meant nothing. It was just me trying to appease my conscience to make me feel better that I wasn't going to go to hell. But I wasn't giving God my life. My life was still about me, and it wasn't about him. When you give your life to Jesus, when you truly submit your life to Christ, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's going to be a waging war inside of you once you change direction. It says the Spirit brings the desires of Christ. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, the Spirit brings the desires of Christ. For us, the Spirit is trapped inside this fleshly body. So you've got this man or this woman that's living 
for themselves their whole life, and then all of a sudden, at a moment, they're changed because they're filled with the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. It's like oil and water. You still have the desire to do these things, but the problem is, is you know in your heart that you shouldn't do it. I'll give you a great example. My mouth was filthy before I met Jesus. I would drop the F-bomb like it was hot. It didn't matter. It did, I, said, I said any cuss word that came up, and I made up a few when I got mad. When I got saved, it, I was trying to behave. I was trying to, uh, uh, what, behavior modification, trying to modify my behavior. When I was around my church people, oh, I was Jeremy the Saint. When I went hunting with my family, I fit in with their good old boys. I'd cuss, I'd tell dirty jokes, I'd tell all those things. But when I left, I would feel like, I mean, it's like, Jeremy, how can you witness to those people when you're saying the same things they're saying? You're just as filthy as they are. What's going on? And I realized I was trying to change my behavior on my own, and it really broke my heart. So what I, I laid, I, I, it, it bothered me so bad that I got down and said, God, I can't kick this sin on my own. I can't do this on my own. I've been trying. You've got to take it from me. Y'all, we've got to be intentional about sin. We've got to slay that thing. We've got to be, we've got to be intentional about it, not just saying, well, I'll get better tomorrow. No, you've got to try to do it today. Give it to God. And when I got serious about that, I fasted for a week for that sin, saying, God, I can't do this. Lord, take this away from me. At the end of the week, I don't have a problem with it anymore. No problem. No problem. I didn't realize it until I went hunting the next weekend. I was around the same old people, and they were doing the same old thing. And I got in the truck, and it's like God said, I'm proud of you, boy. Because I didn't have that desire because God took it from me. But he wouldn't have, took it, he wouldn't have taken it from me if I had not had been so desperate to please him. If I hadn't been so desperate, that, that war inside of me, I had been letting the flesh win for so long, and I finally had to take a stand and say, no. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be more like Christ. So what does it look like? It looks like a battle, just like I explained. It's inside of us. Wanting, your old self is wanting to come out and do those old things. When, when you hit the drive-thru and somebody talks trash to you, you want to jump out and smack them in the face. Is that just me? You want to do something crazy. But it's the spirit inside of you that holds you back and says, you know what? You don't need to do that. That's not going to show them the love of Christ. And that was not intended to point out anybody. But one side of you guys have desires of the spirit. One side has desires of the flesh. Galatians 5, 16 through 17 says, But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. You can't live like everybody else and still claim to be a Christian. You can't do it. That's what that says. So two ways that we're supposed to live our lives. We're supposed to walk either by the Spirit or walk by the flesh. We're supposed to, Romans 8, 5 through 8, pretty much says we're supposed to die daily to ourselves. Die daily to what we want and make sure if what we want is in line with what Christ wants. It's in line with what God's Word says. 
And you're not going to know what God's Word says if you're not reading it. To walk by the flesh means we focus on worldly things. We focus on things temporary. We focus on this world. When I was living by the flesh, money defined, was defining me. My friends' acceptance was defining me. But when I met Jesus, none of that stuff mattered anymore. What's your focus? What has your heart? That shows you what's driving you, if it's the flesh or if it's the spirit. To walk by the Spirit means we focus on eternal things. Guys, when we feel that, when you feel that war inside of us, when you feel that war of wanting to please God and that war of, of that flesh trying to pull you the other way, that's evidence in your life that you're saved. But do you have that? And the answer isn't sometimes, okay? That answer ain't, well, I'm feeling it right now. That ain't that it. When you're away from here, when you're doing your own thing, when you're at work tomorrow, is that war, is that war going on inside of you? The next thing is fruit. See, fruit is the outward evidence of our inward focus. I love John 5. John 15, 4, I'm sorry. It says, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And he continues on in verse 5 saying, For I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If we don't stay plugged into Jesus, if we don't stay plugged into Christ, we're not going to have any fruit. People are not, fruit is the outward expression. When people see you, do they see Christ? Because if they don't see Christ, chances are you're not plugged into the true vine. And I know this is some hard stuff, but guys, we got to get a hold of this. I wish somebody would have preached this to me when I was 16 years old. And I wish I would have listened. Because my life would have been a lot different. A lot different. When we focus on anything other than Christ, we produce fruit of the flesh. Galatians 5, 19 through 21, it kind of breaks it down so we can really understand what that is. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Guys, when we're, when we're letting the flesh lead us, we're all jacked up. I mean, those first four or five characteristics, your sex life is all jacked up. Your view of sex is all messed up. It's about your self-gratification, not about what Christ wants. It's about me. That's why we've got so many teenagers that are involved in sex outside of marriage because it's about them. It's not about Jesus. And it's sad because us that are older, they see us modeling that. And we look down at, we look down at our teenagers like, how can you do that? When we're, we're kind of showing the same things. Your focus is messed up. The next one, is, it talks about strife and jealousy and fits of anger. I mean, that talks about your relationships. Your relationships are all jacked up and messed up. There's drama all in your relationship. I hate drama. Anybody hate drama? 
All right, y'all, we all on the same page. I hate it. But you got all this drama and this turmoil and all this junk going on in your relationships. Why? Because all that fleshliness. And then next, it talks about drunkenness and it goes on with, with orgies and stuff. Talks about, that talks about addictions. I mean, people are addicted to things. When you're driven by the flesh, you allow things to control you. That's a pretty vivid picture. And it goes on, it says, look, when we focus on Christ, we produce fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 23 through 22 through 23 goes on, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you notice how those two passages are direct opposite of one another? If, if I'm following Christ, if I'm being led by the Spirit, look, I'm going to have patience. I'm going to have self-control in, in my sex life with, with my passion, of, with my lust. I'm going to have self-control in those areas. But if not, I'm, gonna let it, I'm just going to let it loose. Do what I want to do because it's about me. Look, when I'm in the Spirit, my relationships are going to be great because, look, I'm patient, I'm joyful, I'm kind. There's goodness coming out of me. There's faithfulness. My relationships are intact, and people like being around me. Or you. You're not addicted to things because you have self-control. Guys, we cannot, cannot walk by the Spirit and the flesh at the same time. It just can't happen. It cannot happen. Romans 6, 16 says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are a slave of the one whom you obey? Either sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. So look at your life. What's your life saying? Are you a slave to sin or are you a slave to Christ? Because what you do outside of here shows that. And guys, this is so important. This is so important. Because we got like our life outside of a church service don't matter. That matters more than coming to church. How do you live? What do people see in your life? And it's sad because people that were deacons in the church I grew up in, I seen their fakeness in their life and it pushed me away from Christ for years. I don't want to be that person that turns anybody away from Jesus. And in that time that I had turned away because I thought there was nothing to Jesus because of the life everybody else lived, if I would have died, I would have went to hell. I don't want that on my conscience. That's why we should live every single day intentionally for Jesus. That when people see us, they know that we're saved. There's a difference in that man right there. There's a difference in that woman right there. There must be something to this whole Jesus stuff. I need to go check it out. But are you living by the flesh or are you living by the Spirit? This book is deceiving because I think I got a whole lot longer to go, but I don't. Repentance is the next thing. It says, being in Christ does not mean that we are without sin. It means that we're not without sin. John says it better. 1 John 1.8 says, 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Look, it's not that we won't sin. It's that when we do sin, we will feel bad about it. We will, it's how we respond to sin. That's how the, the biggest difference between a believer and a non-believer is how we respond to sin. I want to express something to you guys. People that are all about grace make me sick. Oh, Jesus died to save my sins, past, present, and future. I can do anything I want to do because he died for my sins. You need to read your Bible is what I want to tell them. Look, Jesus did die for our sins, but not for us to make a mockery of the cross. Because if we could have lived any way we wanted to and still went to heaven, there would have been no need for the cross. But yet he came and he died so that because we follow him, we obey him, we live for him, that we could have eternal life. Everybody's not going to heaven, okay? Only those that are following Jesus. Only those that are, that are just on their knees, totally sold out to Jesus Christ. Those people that are playing games, those people that are living their life for themselves, they're not going to make it unless they really change their heart and start following him. The grace of Jesus Christ is awesome because he did die for our sins. He did die for your sins. We are going to sin. We're going to make mistakes. But when we do make mistakes, how would he feel? Do we want to get down on our knees and say, Lord Jesus, I am so sorry for what I just did. Do you have that spirit of repentance saying, God, I am sorry. I am broken by my sinfulness. Are you living a life of repentance? Because how arrogant are we to think that that doesn't matter? He loved us so much to come and die for us. When I fail him, I should say, God, forgive me. Lord, help me. Not do that again. Repentance is a lifestyle. And it's not a one-time event. It's not this one time where I, I said the sinner's prayer, I repented before I got baptized. It, it's not that one time. Matter when I first got saved, man, I felt like I was telling him I was sorry every other second. But the longer I've lived following Jesus. I find myself having to tell him a lot less than I did last year. Because I'm growing. Are you growing in Christ? When's the last time you've told Jesus, I'm sorry? Because you know you need to tell him that today. You know you needed to tell him yesterday. When? Because repentance shows our hearts, guys. And that's where refreshing's found. Look, I, I don't know how many times I've been beat down because of I, I, I failed him that day. And just be broken. Say, God, I am so sorry. Feeling, feeling this burden that I have failed the God that sent his son to die on the cross for me. And in that moment, I'm crying my eyes out, saying, Lord, I am so sorry for failing. I'm so sorry for that because my heart is to please you. And at the end of that, guess what? I feel refreshed. I feel revived. I feel renewed because I have placed my burden on the king. 
Have you done that lately? Believers, have you done that lately? The best evidence of personal growth is repentance. Matthew says, bearing fruit and keeping up with repentance. It's evidence. It's another thing that you can check to give you reassurance of your salvation. And this last thing is is a tough one. And I have prayed so hard not to be hard about this. But guys, look, as a believer, there are absolutely no way, no way, no way that we can walk in revealed sin and experience no conviction that leads to repentance. If you're claiming to be a follower of Jesus Christ and you can sin and you can do things that don't please God and it does not affect you, it does not bother you, then you need to check yourself. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't keep on living in sin knowing that God doesn't approve of that. And I'm not trying to harp on this whole sex thing, but that's what keeps coming to my mind today for some reason. Is look, we have, we have teenagers that are just living a life of sleeping with one partner to the next and they're, they're changing sexual partners like they do their own underwear sometimes. And it bothers me because it's like, hey, that's no big deal. It's holy and sacred to God. You can't do that. That's a good, you can't continue to do that and not have that feeling of, hey, I'm doing wrong before God. You can't be living in sin, knowing that it's wrong, but yet not caring and say that you are a true follower of Jesus Christ. You can't be a liar, a cheater, a thief. You can't be those things and not feel guilty about it if you are a child of the King. We got people that come to church every week and they sit on a pew and it's like the biggest crook in the town sometimes. And they come and they sit on the pew and it's like, I'm okay with how I've cheated everybody this week. I've just come for people to see that I go to church for my social status. Guys, that drives me crazy. And I know this is tough. And I might not have but two people come back next week. But guys, look. The most important thing is that we are truly sold out to Jesus Christ. Nothing else matters. If your boyfriend or your girlfriend doesn't respect you enough to say, hey, I know that you want to follow Christ, we won't do that, then you need to get somebody else. If the person that you're working with is causing you to compromise your beliefs, you need to go to work somewhere else. Jesus should be the most important thing. And when he is, guess what? It's easy to walk away from those things that don't matter. Those people that are holding you down, it's easy to walk away from that if Jesus is all that matters. And that's what salvation is. It's when you give your life to him and it's like, Jesus, you are all that matters. So are these things true in your life? Really ask yourself, am I in a new direction? Do I live for him? Is there a waging war inside of me? Is there a battle inside of me? Is there fruit? Other people seeing evidence that there's a spirit inside of me. And am I experiencing conviction that leads to repentance? 
God's not interested in the commitment that you made five years ago and didn't, and didn't care nothing about. He's interested in your heart today. And I could preach all night and beg you guys to get right with God. But what's most important, what God's been telling me, I have been struggling. I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys. I've been struggling for the souls of a lot of people that's been coming every single week and leaving here the same. But God's told me, Jeremy, you just preach. And it's up to them if they reject me, and it's up to them if they accept me. The choice is yours tonight. The question is, am I truly saved? And nobody knows that but you. And you can walk out of here with your pride saying that you didn't want nobody to know that you've been playing games, or you can, you can humbly submit to Jesus Christ and say, you know what, I have not submitted my life to him, and I need to give it to him today. And if that's you tonight, I want you to just raise your hand. Say, Jeremy, that's me. Amen. 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 <laughs> Anybody else? The ice is broke. Anybody else? Anybody else? Then when this music starts playing, you can't sit in your seat. I'm going to tell you, you can't sit in your seat and say that you've been 100% right before God this week. Have you been repenting to Him? Have you, where is your relationship with Him? Can people see you are a child of the King? Because if not, you need to come up here. You need to bow down and say, Father, forgive me. You need to repent. You need to give your life to Him. Your co-workers are depending on you. God puts you at your job for a reason. God's put you in the family, even though it might be jacked up. He puts you there for a reason so that you can be the light at your family reunion, at your, when your mom and daddy sees you. It doesn't matter how they raised you. It matters how you show them the love of Christ now. The most important thing we can do is come to God and say, Lord, I know I failed you. If you failed me. And say, I want my life to be all that you want it to be so that I can win as many people to Christ as you want me to. So just by the way I live, people come to know the saving grace and how awesome you are. So when we start standing, if you will stand, Everybody stand. And when the music starts, God's moving in your heart. Don't worry about singing. You worry about doing business with God. Any of them can sing. Do business with Christ. Father God, we come to you right now, Lord, thanking you so much for those two that went from death to life, Lord. And I just praise your holy name for that, God. And Lord, I know that you're stirring in people's hearts and lives right now. God, I pray that you won't let them sit in that seat anymore. Lord, deal with us, Lord. Deal with me, God. Reveal things in my heart that I need to get right with you, God. Lord, we're all in this together. And Lord, I pray that when people see us as Connection Church and Men, they see a people that are pure, a people that are after your heart, a people that aren't just attracted to sin, we're attracted to you, God. And I pray that you would just move in our hearts in a bold way. Lord, don't let us accept anything than what you want from us, God.
move in this place. Consume us, God. Fall upon us, Lord. Fall on us like honey, God, so that it's so thick that we can't get it off of us, God. Move in us, Lord. Move in our hearts, God. It's in your name that we pray, amen.